Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting adventure at the Hub World. Today's quest will have us covering our 2021 Game Awards, which is going to have a little bit of a spin compared to um, a lot of other places. But we'll tell you more about that in a sec. My name is Jules, and today our party members are Mateo, Dino, and Riley. Whether you're joining our adventure from YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, be sure to give us a like or a follow. Now, let's uh, get this adventure rolling. So to start, before we get to our icebreaker, you probably just heard a jingle that you've never heard before. That's part of the new hub world. You know, new year, new hub world. Um, We're adding some new things in, and one of those is a little intro-outro jingle. To tell you a little bit more about that, here's Gino. Yeah, so the little piece that you heard there was actually a collab between me and my very good friend, Richard. Uh, he has a YouTube channel, uh, Richard Ibarra. They're almost at a thousand subs, actually. If you could help him get to that milestone, uh, head over there, check his channel out. He does a lot of like car videos and kind of like day in the life kind of vlogging stuff. So shout out to Richard. He helped me uh, make this song ten years ago, back in high school, for one of our uh, one of our drama projects. Of course, uh, because we're both co-creators, he might be using uh, the jingle over on his channel for some other stuff as well. So Yeah, and we'll link you to his page in the description, so you can also check it out there. So thanks, you know, yeah, so you're going to hear, um, that's going to be our kind of like intro-outro song for the next while. The other thing we're going to be doing with New new Year, New Hub World is we're actually going to be making a little bit of a change to the icebreaker format. We're actually going to tell you more about that next podcast. For this podcast, we are going to stick to our typical format, so look forward to that in our next one. And just before we get to the icebreaker, a little bit of housekeeping. On the 12th was our one-year anniversary here at the Hub World. One year ago, on January 12th, we started this little podcast. Didn't expect it to, to pan out this much. Now we're on episode 45. And technically, we've filmed many more than 45 episodes, if you count all our specials and our episodes that didn't even make it out to the <laughs> to the platform. So we've actually we've done quite a bit, and it's been great. So we did miss our one year. We're hoping that this would be out on our one year. Unfortunately, as we are in a global pandemic, that global pandemic had spread to some of our members here, and we had to delay the recording of this episode about a week. Um, so that's why we missed our anniversary, but this will kind of serve as our anniversary episode anyway. So without further ado, we are going to do our 2021 Game of the Year Awards. Now, our Game of the Year Awards are going to be different than anybody else out there because we figured, you know, first of all, there's a lot of games that came out this year, more games than any of us could play collectively so we felt like we didn't have the best opinion when it came to determining what are the best games in some categories but we also thought wouldn't it be fun rather than it being a game of the year awards that covers the games that came out this year what if it's a game of the year awards that covers everything we've played for the first time so not only are you going to see games that came out in 2021 but you're also going to see games that came out before 2021 that some of us at the hub world had just never played before and they might be our games in certain categories now we will still have a category that's exclusive to like what the game of the year of 2021 is so you're still going to get that typical award but in all of our other awards you might get an older game you might get a 2021 game it'll be kind of up for surprise and you'll get some cool explanations so that's kind of where we're at now without further ado i think we can start with our icebreaker category which is going to be a little bit funny so this is what is the most disappointing game you played 
this year? Would anybody like to begin? I'll go first because I think I can just do mine really, really quick. And I'm trying not to be a jerk when I talk about this game, but it is Undertale for me, unfortunately. And it's weird because like I keep like a, a log of all the games I beat in a document. I have them dating back to 2017. And this year was really weird because I was on pace up until I played Undertale to beat my previous record of how many games I've played this year. But after I played Undertale... I went months without beating a game because I just it kind of sucked the motivation for me to play games because of how much I didn't enjoy that game. Like it, it kind of I needed to take a break from video games after playing Undertale. Like it just it's the type of game like maybe this is going to be a hint at to the future of the hub world. But hot take. I don't see what people see in Undertale. I honestly don't think it's really that great. I think it's one of the most overrated games that I've ever played as well. I'm unable to see what people see in that game. And like, and, and because I couldn't have that same experience, it was disappointing to me. So I have to go with Undertale. Continuing this kind of like hot take kind of thing, I think it was a game that came out this year in 2021 that I played that was the most disappointing. And that was Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. I knew we were going to be getting a, uh, a faithful remake of the Gen 4 remakes. And to me... That really ruined the experience just because they're doing the, the remade content based off of Diamond and Pearl. As much as they added to the underground feature, that was one of my favorite things in the original ones. I could just load up on my DS and play the underground and have the mini games and make my own secret base that wasn't just statues of things. I could make a miniature Pokemon Center. I could make a miniature house. I could make a gym. I could have all these fun little things that I could put in there and really in the end we only just got the statues of shiny pokemon and regular pokemon and the pedestals that was really underwhelming for me maybe i didn't explore the underground enough to get other furniture pieces or anything like that but not having that right away off the get-go was really disappointing for me and i know we're getting arceus and that's where their attention was and i realized that like okay any cool new features and new pokemon and things like that would have been put into that unlike what we I, I don't know. I guess I really in, I I knew we were getting a, a a faithful remake. Just I didn't realize it was this faithful to basically just be the same game again because I put the game down, didn't go back and finish the Elite Four, and I still haven't. Valid, Riley. Do you have a disappointing game this year? I'd like to save mine for last. If that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. I can throw mine in now. Um, unlike Gino and Matteo, who. In my opinion, I don't think you threw out games that are, like, objectively bad. Like, I feel like you threw out games that were like, this isn't my thing. Whereas my most disappointing game of the year was an objectively bad game. It was Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. (laughs) I wanted that game to be good. I really wanted that game to be good. And for a couple days upon its release, I convinced myself that it was good enough to play. But... After, like, I had all these guys over to play with me, we played one match, and that's all it took for my illusion, my lie that I was telling myself for two days of playing it a little bit by myself to shatter into this game is not good. It was awful. And, like, there was so much hype around that game, and we really wanted it to be just, like, even just, like, okay, but it's just not. It's so bad. And what a disappointing game. I have not, I deleted it after that night. (laughs) <laughs> and I have not re-downloaded it. So I gotta say, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl was an, a disappointing experience. 
we dedicated an entire episode to that game. I, we all wanted it to be good. Frick, I forgot that was this year. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the most disappointing game I played. I have a uh, a bit of an interesting choice for most disappointing game, and it's for much the same reasons as what you just said, a game that I really desperately wanted to be good. And it doesn't mean I don't still like this game a lot, but my expectations for it were sky high, and I'm going to have to say it as bad as it hurts, is Halo Infinite was my most disappointing game. Just because of how much I love Halo and how much better that game could have been, at least to my taste. And I felt like, again, while it's still strong and I still very much enjoy the game, it ultimately, to me, still bears a little bit of the 343 curse. But it's something we I might talk about later. I've heard similar things, honestly. Like, And I've, I've come to... like. I don't think it was disappointing to me because I don't have that level of attachment to Halo as you do. But hearing like another Halo fan talk about it and pointing out why it was disappointing to him while also kind of being in the same boat as what you're saying, like still enjoying the game, but also pointing out like this is really what it lacked. And there was a lot of things from past Halo games that w- were missing. And when he was like kind of framing that, I was like, hmm, I didn't really think about that because I'm not really a Halo fan. To me, it was just like, oh, this is a fun kind of sandboxy shooter and so i kind of enjoyed it because it wasn't it like to me as somebody who doesn't like shooters it was more appealing but i could totally see your framework of thinking riley yeah again i still thoroughly enjoyed the game it's i have more positive things to say it's the negative but i just felt like it could have been so much more okay well that was technically our icebreaker um now we move into the actual game awards for 2021 we're going to start with our most pleasantly surprising game that we played this year. So again, this can come from something that came out in 2021. This can come from something that came out before. Some of us might mention more than one game. Um, if you guys don't mind, I'd like to start with this one. Go for it. I have yep. two games. So one I'm going to just mention briefly. Actually, you know what? I'm going to mention the other one first. I'm going to mention the one that I feel like was my personal most pleasantly surprising experience, which was Pokemon Unite. Because I wanted this game to be good, but I do believe I didn't believe it would be good. And I was very surprised how into it we got. And sure, that didn't last super long. It lasted maybe a month. But you know what? Like, solid game, solid gameplay. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed playing it with, like, you guys and Joe and other friends as well. I still love the steady content they're putting out. I'm still excited to one day go back. Like, I follow it still because I still think it was really cool. And, like, what a cool moment for pokemon to branch out into this different genre and know what like what was even more i think pleasantly surprising about it wasn't just that it was good and it was fun to play but it was also that i didn't feel like it was scummy like i didn't feel like they were scummy about getting new characters and things like that like i felt like there was like actually earnable in-game content and i think that's what kept me playing is because i'm like oh like if i play for like a little bit every day like i actually can unlock a new character and like that's that was exciting because i i think i envisioned it would either be ruined by it's just not going to be good or it was going to be ruined by it's going to be good but it's going to be locked behind a paywall and i felt like neither of those things was really there and i thought it was a very fun surprising experience 100 percent. yeah pokemon unite actually is one of my games but like you i have i have multiple to say i echo everything you said about pokemon unite i was really worried about the monetization of that game ruining it and jules you hit the nail on the head it felt quite fair at least yeah from when we were playing it i don't know if that's mm-hmm. changed since then but no still the same. You, i remember you even just mentioned a little while ago hey go log in and you'll get serena when uh yeah, serena for free. came out yeah and that's the thing is like i think it's a cool game and i think it has some balance things that need to be worked out but 
Like, it's good enough that I think I'll go back one day. And then my other one, my other pleasantly surprising game that I played this year, and this is one out of complete left field, okay? I had played the first game before and generally enjoyed it, didn't really get through all of it. I was like, yeah, this is like a solid, like, B-minus tier game. But when I started seeing my partner this year, we were looking for games to play together. And I saw this one game on sale on Switch, and it was Unravel 2. And I was like, it's $6, let's buy it. It's a two-player game. I cannot believe how good that game was. And I cannot believe that that game did not get more exposure the year it came out. I heard nothing about Unravel 2. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that game was so good. Only good two-player. It's one of those games that if you don't play in multiplayer, it's probably not as good. But I, like one of the most solid platformers i've ever played really fun puzzles really cute and like the multiplayer was like really great because it like made you rely on the other person it wasn't just you know like new super mario bros you were really just one person has to make it through the level and you don't really need to worry about the other people like this was like you had to make sure like your two characters were tied by a string and all the puzzles were about wrapping your string around things the right way, pulling each other up. Like you had to like progress together or else the other person couldn't progress because you were tied together. It was it was incredible. What a what a pleasantly surprising game that I just happened to pick up for six dollars and it was great. So if you've never played Unravel Two, find a friend, play it, it's fun. So the most pleasantly surprising game for me was new Pokemon Snap. Now, I normally buy most Nintendo games anyways, and I probably would have bought Pokemon Snap anyways, but I was never that big on the original Pokemon Snap on N64. We went back and played it a few times recently because you could play that game to its completion in just a couple hours. And I I never understood why people would want to play that game. But with new Pokemon Snap, it finally clicked with me. And I think it was definitely the N64 hardware that made me think that way about the game, just how limited it was. But seeing all these Pokemon in all these many different environments and taking a picture of one or interacting with them in a specific way leads to an event later on. And it was just so cool sharing with each other all those little secrets. Plus, I would play with Gino like we would just pass the controller off and like who would have the best score? Like we had like a little competition with it and it made the game really enjoyable that way. I didn't expect myself to even play that game very much. And we ended up playing through all of it. They had like a free update that came out and I have to play that, and I'm actually really looking forward to playing that as well. So just for me, New Pokemon Snap just was this game that I didn't expect to play very much, and it's one of the best games that came out on Switch this year. Yeah, Mateo and I, we were uh, I remember we were playing through that game, unconventional multiplayer. Let's call it that. The game wasn't two-player, right? But both of us wanted to play it at the same time, and taking the cartridge back and forth between the two Switches wasn't ideal, so we just kind of just shared Mateo's Switch and just pass the controller back and forth and we wouldn't progress the story unless the other person was there which was fun it was nice so i guess i'll go next and the most pleasantly surprising game for me actually was the one that juliano suggested for me from uh, our first episode of hub world homework and, the, and that was the world ends with you final remix i tried making a series of my let's play of it got a little discouraged just because like again it's a let's play of an older game and it wasn't really relevant when i was posting it but i did end up finishing it and i was not expecting to like this game but i also forget that giuliano generally has good taste in games especially when it comes to like uh, rpg games 
and uh, especially Square games. And basically every every Square game or every RPG game that Giuliano has suggested to me has been a winner. And yeah, this one was definitely a winner. I was totally prepared not to understand the mechanics of this game and just be like, okay, fine, I'm doing this. But man, I enjoyed that ride. That game is so fun. Riley, what's your most pleasantly surprising game you played this year? Okay, so the most pleasantly surprising game for me was one that ended up get, making me play pretty much all the other games that developers made recently, and that, that game was Prey. Put me on a big arcane kick. Had played the original one, the one that was completely unrelated to the, the one arcane made in 2017, and I was so engrossed by it, and pleasantly surprised that I decided to play both Dishonored games and Deathloop this year. It marries gameplay with atmosphere and story and player agency and story so well. It was good enough that I recommended it to Gino for the Hub World homework. Oh, wait, no, I didn't. Sorry. Never mind. I didn't recommend it. Right. I just recommended it to Gino in general. Yeah. And Gino liked it so much that he recommended me for Hub World homework, which hopefully (laughs) I will get to that sometime soon. Homework's on a back burner right now. I can't say it's going to be the kind of game that appeals to everyone, but if you even remotely enjoyed something like Bioshock, I highly recommend you give Prey a chance. Oh, yeah. So the next category is the best DLC slash expansion of the year. Now, this one does need to be something that came out this year. It can't be something that came out in uh, a previous year. With that, I'm going to immediately strike my name from the record for this one because all I play that has DLC or expansions is Destiny. So, and that last one came out in 2022. And that's okay. Like, not everybody needs to answer every category. So, I'll I'll start with this one, I guess, too. Technically, it's an expansion. It's Bowser's Fury, which is the bonus game that they added to the remade version of Super Mario 3D World. I think Bowser's Fury was fantastic. Cool little bonus mini game there. Throw super mario 3d world mechanics into a sandbox type level like from mario odyssey except much bigger um with the kind of collectathon elements of super mario 64 sunshine and odyssey really worked i i don't know where they came up with the concept of having bowser jr be a partner character but as many people know i'm a big bowser jr stan so i particularly enjoyed it it was a great concept of like bowser being this massive kaiju who just like comes in every so often to interrupt your gameplay um, when you're taking too long and you have to slam him back down under the water. And then every time you do, it reveals more and more of the map until you eventually defeat him. And I thought that was just a great concept. A lot of the puzzles were really cool. Use the 3D world mechanics in ways that it hadn't been used in 3D world, which is already incredible itself because they like used those mechanics to what I thought was their absolute like, I thought they'd use them up. Like, I didn't think there was anything else they could do, but they found it. Um, so that's my expansion of the year. I didn't think Bowser's Fury counted for this, but yeah, I'm throwing mine out the window. I, I completely agree with you with Bowser's Fury. That game was excellent. I really want them to maybe try, like, have another kick at the can with that one, 3D Mario. I think that the whole concept with Bowser's Fury worked really, really well. I was like the the fusion of those two types of Mario, it, it was fantastic. And like, I don't want to say the same things you did, but yeah, like I really enjoyed Bowser's Fury. Definitely was a sleeper title this year. Not enough people, I think, have really praised that little sliver of the game as much as they should. I have an itch to go back to play 3D Mario, and I'm just deciding, well, do I play Odyssey or do I go do Bowser's Fury again? I do want to have like a small little shout out for Animal Crossing uh, Happy Home Paradise also, just because I, I used the create your own restaurant and create your own cafe modes and models to like make actual restaurants 
restaurants that me and my friends would like frequent regularly. So uh, yeah, just it was, and just to be able to like have unlimited furniture and the ability to change the size and layout of everything, it was great. One gripe I had with it though is that you couldn't change where the doors were. Anyway, remember it's best DLC or expansion, and like the Beyond Light seasonal content and the Bungie 30th anniversary stuff does count technically for this. Because it is a DLC. Yeah, honestly, I was just thinking that. When you started talking, I thought about that, and I would have chosen that, but it's too late now. I thoroughly enjoyed the Bungie 30th anniversary content inside of Destiny 2 during the season of The Lost. Honestly, like, Bungie has done a really good job with this with the seasonal content since Season of Arrivals. We haven't really had a dud of a season in recent memory. And honestly, like, Season of the Hunt was a bit of a dud for me, personally, but Season of the Chosen, Season of Splicer, and now it's Season of the Lost have been really, really bangers. And especially that they've combined the 30th anniversary event with the, the Season of the Lost, I felt like it was a really good tie-in, especially because we've had, like, this unusually long cycle with the Destiny DLCs because Witch Queen got pushed back quite significantly. This is the second time that the last DLC before a new a big new expansion was extended for a long period of time because this all also happened with the rivals. But at least they had something to fill the gap and I guess where I'm going with this one is the 30th anniversary introduced the the new dungeon which was all pirate themed and it was hilarious to to fight the final boss and he has a little helper called RM80 the the halo weapons the nods to all the other bungee stuff in there the marathon and pathways into darkness. So we're going to move on to our next one, which is best soundtrack slash score in a game you played this year. Now, this can come from a 2021 game or something else, whatever you'd like. Would anybody like to start? I'll start with this one immediately. Like the first thing that came into my head was Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. That soundtrack is fantastic. Square was able to create their own glam rock metal album that fit in with other 80s songs. And the general score in that game is really good also. So just it was so fun being in battles and like, all of a sudden, Rick Astley's never going to give you up, just plays, or the Star-Lord theme that Square wrote. Like, it's just the, the way that all the songs mix together, it's perfect. And just the amount, just the sheer volume of music in that game, licensed or unlicensed, is just amazing. And I've never really played a game like that, and I just, I hope that if they do continue the series in the future, they just go even crazier with the music. It's... it. It was such a breath of fresh air, especially with those new songs. I can echo that. I really like that soundtrack. It's not my soundtrack slash score of the year, but it was definitely in contention. Like, such a good soundtrack. I have two that I really liked. I don't know if I can give one. Yeah, to them both. Okay. My first pick, at least, is Metroid Dread, just because over the last year I've played pretty much all the Metroid games. And I felt like Metroid Dread had a lot of homages to a lot of the tracks I enjoyed in a bunch of those other games while still making their own original ones. And I think all of that, it really helped the atmosphere of the game quite a bit. Valid. I agree with you. Very atmospheric. Really increased the dread. <laughs> yes. Increase the dread. My other choice is uh, Deathloop. That soundtrack is awesome. It's jazzy. It's funky. There's some bangers in there. New funky mode. Yep. <laughs> My soundtrack of the year is from Kena Bridge of Spirits. There's just something about that game. It's, I don't know, it's so magical. And I've really started to form this opinion about game music in the last five years where I truly believe that what makes every single, like, incredible game incredible is its music. Like, I think 
what amplifies like a really good game into being a masterpiece is it having like an incredible soundtrack behind it that like really amplifies the gameplay and the the like story beats and everything and like and I think that's why things like Zelda and Final Fantasy are so successful is because if they didn't have those incredible scores like a lot of their story beats and their characters and things would feel less grand and kina gave me those vibes it was like every moment in which i was doing even the slightest gameplay task i felt like the score was amplifying everything everything in the story hit harder everything in the gameplay hit harder because the music just felt so epic and beautiful and like that's all i can really say it's just it's like one of those zelda final fantasy soundtracks were just it's masterfully scored like it it just amplifies everything in the uh, in the game i'll end things off for for this one here and i'm going back to the world ends with you jules because again the music in that game i don't know what it was like give me give me chance a lot of the music in that game like it it just fit the mood exactly like what you were saying about with kina and everything everything like the the score in that game was all completely original and it 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 fit the mood of this fictional world and everything i don't really know how to describe it because i myself am not a music buff yeah that game is very well known for its music and know what like now that you say that i should mention also it's again it's not like my winner kina is my winner but the sequel to The World Ends With You also came out this year, Neo, The World Ends With You, and it also had, like, equally as good of a soundtrack as the first one. Like, a lot of great remixes of songs from the original, as well as a lot of brand new ones that also just slapped. Like, those are songs I would listen to on my phone. <laughs> like, they're they're great. A lot of good music. So, next category is Best Multiplayer in a Game You Played This Year. Again, could be 2021 game could be something else so what are we thinking for best multiplayer i'm gonna just say this now halo infinite's probably the best multiplayer i played this year despite my misgivings about some of the choices they made in terms of balance and the weapons implemented i still have a hell of a time playing it it doesn't quite live up to the nostalgia i thought i'd have for it playing it like i did back with halo 3 with all of our friends in high school still very good it has potential going forward has a uh good competitive scene that i appreciate and uh it's just a lot of fun really yeah halo infinite definitely it's like on my list as well i don't know if it's my gen like it's my favorite but like in terms of online multiplayer i think halo infinite is the winner but i'm someone that values local multiplayer a lot and for me the experience i had with mario party superstars was fantastic like it's everything that i that we wanted a mario party to be probably since the gamecube era that game was comprised of the best mini games from all the mario party games in the past but with the focus on the nintendo 64 era which is the best era for mario party and it did have the ability to have online multiplayer which did help and it runs surprisingly well for a switch game but just when we're in that mario party mood like this is going to be the go-to game from now on until they make another one like this like this game will always be relevant i find and it's only going to get better in the future i think basically then to boil things down local multiplayer i gotta go with mario party but for online i'm gonna go with halo infinite i I wanted to have a little caveat with that one so and with that both of my choices have been taken i'm just gonna repeat what mateo said local multiplayer has to go to mario party superstars it even got like a bunch of like like my older cousin would come over and he's like almost 40 now would come over and be like yo let's play mario party and we'd we'd hop on the switch and he doesn't have to like relearn all these new maps and stuff because like these are all the old maps that we were playing from before and 
a veteran gamer like my cousin can come in, sit down, have fun, and fundamentally understand what's going on. And of course, multiplayer online goes to Halo. It is still the king. Well, I personally don't care for online shooters, so I have no real opinion on Halo. But I do echo the Mario Party stuff. Like, I'm a sucker for Mario Party. I love Mario Party. It's a great multiplayer game and one of the best things to do in a party setting. Um, That being said, it's not my best multiplayer in a game I played this year. The best multiplayer for me was It Takes Two, which... I only played because it won like the game awards game of the year. And I was like, okay, let's check this game out. And Oh my God, uh, that game is, it deserved game of the year. Like what an incredible game, just period. Like it does so much with its gameplay, like so many different things. It's a platformer. It's a third person shooter. It's a puzzle game. Like it makes references to so many different games and genres within itself. And it also gives like both players that are playing like unique roles where you do have to rely on each other in order to make it through all the puzzles. It's just, it's exceptional. There's nothing else I feel like it in existence. Like it's incredible. Like if you're just looking for something to play with another person, like a co-op game, like it's definitely one of those games that I would 100% recommend. And then the fun thing is if you were to play it again, you could swap roles because you're not doing the same thing. Like you are literally doing different things as your different characters. Like in one level, whoever's playing is May, the female character has the power to like crawl up walls. Um, whoever's playing is Cody has the ability to go really big or go really small. So like all the puzzles are based around those things and it's like a space level. And then in another level, it's like a third person shooter. And like Cody has the ability to spray like, honey on people and then may has this like flamethrower that when it, when it hits the honey it explodes and it's like everything's about like you each have a unique set of tools and you have to communicate and collaborate in order to make those tools work together to solve the puzzles it's really incredible so i highly recommend it takes two best multiplayer this year for me so i think we're on to best narrative in a game you played this year again this can be from 2021 games or it can be from a game that came out before when i categorize the games that i i beat in a year like even though i started this game technically in 2020 i didn't beat it until january but i still think narrative wise story wise everything it was one of the best games that i've played this year and it was the game that I basically bought my PS5 for, Ghost of Tsushima. This game, I feel like everything is perfect in this game. It's it's one of the greatest games I think PlayStation has made for various reasons. But Jin Sakai is such a fantastic character. The way he's written, his whole supporting cast in that game is fantastic. The relationship he has with his uncle and the complexity of that relationship, I think is honestly one of the best family dynamics i've seen in any game period the journey that Jin has to go through in the game as everything he was reaching for and aiming towards in his life changed in an instant and seeing how he rebuilds from all these traumatic events that happened to him before the events of the game and during the events of the game it's really uplifting and seeing now how, where he's going to go in the future i think is really exciting with how they would handle him in in a sequel or and like they're they're making a movie on this before like the game just came out and they're making a movie and that shows how powerful the the story and the narrative of this game is 
and just the the whole lore that they set up around this event is is fantastic. I Ghost of Tsushima is such a fantastic game. Even though there's a lot of really good games that came out this year, Ghost of Tsushima, even though I, I played it last year, it still takes the cake over every, anything I played this year. That's how good it is. So for me, it's Ghost of Tsushima by a landslide. Ghost of Tsushima is also the one I picked for best narrative uh, this year. And I feel like Mateo has pretty much said everything that one should say about that. Although something that really resonated with me, part of why I appreciate it so much, was its meditations on uh, like honor and duty. I very much appreciated that it handled and like the internal debate Jin has about those concepts and what his moral obligations and given the circumstances should be. I still have to play that game. <laughs> you really should. It's so fantastic. I got the pleasure of watching Riley play through the game, and while I didn't catch everything, I can see why it was something that both of you really enjoyed. What I like is how there's a binary ending, and both of us chose the different endings. We both were convinced ours is the correct one, like the way it should be. I love that. I don't remember which one the canon one was, but... I don't think there was a canon one. We'll find out in the sequel. Exactly. I have a question for you about that, actually. Was there an achievement associated with each ending? I don't think so. Because if Sucker Punch was going to do what they did last time, because this is what they did with Infamous, when they made Infamous Second Son, they used achievement data from which ending received more more trophy data for Infamous 2, and they chose that ending to, to build off of. I hope that's of. not the case. <laughs> yeah. Is <laughs> then Riley, you ain't getting yours. Yeah. <laughs> yours is probably not the popular choice. My best narrative is also a Sony game. And for some, this would be a hot take, but The Last of Us Part 2 is my narrative of the year. Good answer, good answer. Yep, I think it is brilliant. Like, that's all I can say, is I don't want to get into why it's brilliant, because I don't want to spoil it, because I am of the full opinion that if you knew what happened in that game going into that game when you play it, you are tainted, and you will never appreciate it. That is my personal opinion. I think that that story is best absorbed in the medium in which it is told, in the pacing in which it is told, in the emotions that it makes you feel in which it is told. And I think if you just look at the plot points, for a lot of people that just kind of experienced it through like leaks or they read things about it and then played after and it just kind of, kind of confirmed what they thought about it. I genuinely think that's just the wrong way to absorb the story because the story is controversial. Yes. The story does things that are shocking. Yes. But the way in which it tells its narrative is so brilliant. It's a masterpiece in terms of how it pushes this idea of empathy and how one achieves empathy and the way it makes the player like it it forces the player into positions where you are emulating the same emotions and the same negative emotions that the characters are feeling it like tries really hard to put you into the same position as the characters and that's what i think is brilliant about it is i think it's like it's so well done and it's and it's exactly what the first one did like it's exactly what the first one did and that's why i loved the first one is because the first one was such a brilliant story that like took you through these emotional individual pieces of a storyline that got you attached to the characters to the point where when there was a shocking 
thing that happened at the end of the story of the first one, even if you didn't agree with the choices that were made by the characters, you understood why they made them because you had just spent like 12 hours living in that character's shoes and you understood the emotional core of that character. And I think that the second game does the exact same thing. I think it does it in in ways that are very different. And I think the themes and the emotions it wants you to feel are very different, but I think it succeeds in doing what last of us does best, which is empathy and making you feel the emotions the characters are feeling in order to enhance its narrative. And that is why I think it's just like brilliantly told. Spicy opinion. Abby is the best character in the Last of Us franchise. I too like Abby, but that is my narrative of the year. I'm going to keep mine a little bit shorter just because I still haven't finished it because Hubworld homework and a few other things got in the way. But the best narrative, and I feel like I'm like 98% way, I'm on the, I think I'm on the last mission, and that is Prey. Yes, Riley, I still haven't finished Prey. I fully intend on going back to it, but the story in this game, the the journey that you go on in this game also just based on like the audio log stuff what you hear on the comms your character even talks to you it's weird it does a really good job with environmental storytelling i think it is yeah you just just like because a picture can tell a thousand words and just by going through these environments and you see what's happened to this space station in just this short amount of time what do you do or like one of your quests will have you like oh there's something pinging out in outer space what is that go check it out and just when you get there you can kind of piece together just based on the scenario that you're in it does a very good job of that and just like a combination of you figure it out yourself like and this self-discovery and like kind of like almost detective kind of storytelling i like to call it as well as like okay here's the main character here's an antagonist that they have to encounter and this is this uh, this is the situation it also gives you multiple endings as well like the game gives you plenty of chances to like out and you'll get a, like a different ending depending on what choice you make which is also really really fun i i just thoroughly enjoyed that, this so far in, in prey and i do want to go back and get the other endings okay so those were our best narratives so we are now on to our best gameplay in a game we played this year i'll i'll open the game that i felt was the most fun and i felt was like most tight gameplay and this one isn't anything spectacular in terms of what i'm going to say about it but i just really enjoyed the gameplay was ratchet and clank rift apart i love the ratchet and clank series and for the longest time even though i really loved ratchet and clank it was never my favorite PlayStation exclusive. Like I always felt Jack and Daxter was better. And then the PS3 era, I, I, I hopped onto the whole like, ooh, I'm a, I'm a big boy now. I like Uncharted and all that kind of stuff. But I can say like Ratchet and Clank had a little bit of a, a hiccup over the last like five years. Rift Apart is like the best game in the series. Like no, no comparison to any other game in the series. It's everything that was good about the the ps2 games and the ps3 games but better and it's so well done and it felt so fluid what they were able to do with the ps5's tech with like the rifts um and the new weapons and like having balancing the dual characters like i'm really excited for what insomniac is going to put out next with both ratchet and clank and spider-man and wolverine because their track record lately has been pristine like they are gameplay geniuses they know how to make their games fun. And 
what I love about a game is when I'm excited to go home and play it because I'm having a blast playing it. And Ratchet and Clank is one of those games this year where I was like excited to go home and play it because I was just having a blast. So that's my gameplay of the year. Yeah, uh, a similar type of thing with me, but for me, it was Metroid Dread. I loved the additions that Mercury Steam made to this Metroid formula in Samus Returns with like the Aeon abilities and like the combat counter and stuff like that. But they refined it even more in Metroid Dread. They added even more awesome abilities like the the phantom cloak and then the flash shift ability the different types of bombs that you get were also welcome additions and just like the speed of the game samus like being able to auto like go jump over small ledges or the slide through like i love that just how everything felt the way it should and just the way nintendo makes their games like everything is polished till it's gleaming like i just found Metroid Dread was another example of that. And like the boss fights were exhilarating. The level design is fantastic. There was a good amount of puzzles. And like I went for 100% in this game. And some of the ways you have to get like a missile tank are really, really difficult. And you think to yourself, well, how the heck am I going to get through here? And then when you find the solution for that, it was really, really satisfying to when you have that payoff. There's sequence breaking. There's different ways to to get to to bosses and sometimes you'll have like different cutscenes that can happen before you fight a boss and there's just so many things like that in metroid dread and it just feels like the ultimate 2d metroid game so i have to go with metroid dread for for gameplay i i honestly have metroid dread on on my list for best gameplay also but as you were talking about it mateo my mind started to drift a little bit and I was starting to think about, like, okay, well, what else has, like, really good gameplay? And, like, in, it doesn't have to be, like, the controls and everything, but what is, like, an addictive gameplay loop? And I was just thinking about that. And I'm going back to Happy Home Paradise, and I think I'm going to change my my best gameplay from Metroid Dread to Happy Home Paradise, just because I loved making little houses and, like, the vacation things for each of these villagers. And even Jules and I, we were coming up with all these creative stories and stuff. Like, for instance, Marlo is this, like, mafia boss, and I'm making, like, a mafia boss-themed house around the character of Marlo, and then there's the one lion dude that was obsessed with bathrooms, and I had him, like, have, like, a million bathrooms in his house, but they all have, like, security cameras and all these things just to, like, satisfy his desire to, like, have a bathroom paradise, I guess, and just, like, even, like, I made um, my favorite villager, Rod... He's a, he's a pirate mouse. I made him a haunted pirate cove and stuff. And just like little things like that where like you have unlimited furniture, you can change the house and basically interior decorate this house in this space to your heart's content. It was so addicting. And being able to like unlock all the furniture and get the extra walls and all this stuff, just like the stories that we made based on like these villagers and what are they doing and just like... It was just inspiring your imagination just to like go wild. Like this game inspired you to just go out, have fun. And when you have these little backstories in your head for certain villagers, it made that DLC so much more fun. It's hard for me to choose just one because as I mentioned before, uh, I've played a lot of arcane games. And while Jules seems to think that it's Naughty Dog who makes the, who has the best gameplay, I genuinely believe at this point that arcane is very much up there. The sheer amount of options they give you to deal with problems in these games is awesome. There's so much freedom in how you can interact with their worlds. So it's really hard for me to narrow it down between the, the three prominent ones I played, because, well, I've played 
Deathloop, I didn't play it to completion, so there's still stuff I have to do in that. So it's between Dishonored 1, Dishonored 2, and Prey. And while I enjoy Prey for technically having more paths to do stuff and uh, more options, I have to give it to Dishonored 1 just because I think it has the strongest level design. And there's something just deeply satisfying with the powers and tools they give you, just with Dishonored 2 being a strong second. I've, I have so much fun playing those games and always finding new and fun ways to murder guards or get them to murder each other, stuff like that. So we have three categories left. Now, before we go back to our 2021 games, we're going to be looking at 2022. What is our most anticipated game of 2022? Go ahead, Riley. You may kick it off. That's all I have to say. I've never heard of it. What is that? Go away. Leave. Get out of this podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited for Elden Ring. I don't know if... I don't know. I I feel like I've probably mentioned it during every podcast I've been a part of, but yeah, I've been well, waiting for Elden Ring for a very long time. And as a huge FromSoft fan, it is all I've been able to think about for a little bit now. So suffice to say, I'm I, I anticipated a decent amount. We know Elden Ring is a very anticipated game. Now I will go next. Now, obviously, I'm very, very hyped for the sequel to The Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, which may come out this year. Um, it's supposed to come out <laughs> this year, but who knows? But obviously, I'm very excited for that as a massive Zelda fan. I'm also very anxious about it because with every new Zelda game comes a new Zelda collector's edition that I have to make sure I get, lest I cry and destroy my entire collection for not having one of them. But despite the fact that that massive game is coming out, I can't help but be hyped for Chocobo GP. And I can't explain this hype to anybody. There's no logic other than I'm so starved for a new Mario Kart game after nearly 10 years without a new one that anything that looks remotely similar to Mario Kart just gets me excited. But Chocobo GP, at least for the first half of the year, for the foreseeable future, is easily my most anticipated game. Oh no, Jules, you gotta be careful with this this anticipation. Look what happened to Nickel Star Battle Royale or whatever it is. Oh, don't say that. Please don't Jules, say don't. that. Chocobo GP actually is polished. It looks polished. It looks polished. And hey, Chocobo Racing, which was on PS1, was a really good racing game. So mm-hmm. I have two on here, but I have kind of like a third one as like an honorable mention. I'm really looking forward to the new uh, Pokemon Legends game that's going to be coming out later this month. I'm really, really looking forward to that new Pokemon Legends game just because I feel like it's something more akin to like Monster Hunter Lite, but it also seems to have kind of like a quest structure, like an open world kind of quest structure. And I'm really like, I'm looking at my desktop right now and I see Skyrim and I see halo infinite with like a sandbox like with a large like sprawling sand uh, sandbox kind of environment gameplay and like one that we haven't really seen too too much of since i want to say e3 is starfield i'm really excited for that especially with what bethesda has been able to do with like their uh just like their open world games kind of like using elder scrolls using fallout and things like that like I am starved for a good, like, open world, go here, slay X number of things, complete quests, RPG kind of game. Like, And I feel like Starfield is really uh, something that, like, we can do that, but in space. And that, of course, in, like, Destiny 2 Witch Queen, so. But Gino. Yes. I know the idea of an open world game set in space sounds hype-worthy, but there is a much more anticipated open world game that's a concept never done coming out this year. 
which is an open world Sonic game. Never we before will... have you been able to run fast around a whole world. Yeah. Oh, an open <laughs> zone game, as Sega calls it. Oh, that's fun. that's a good play on words. But yeah, yeah. Like I, but yeah, like Pokemon Legends Arceus for the immediate future, Destiny Two, which is also kind of immediate, and Starfield for the, like the long term, and then of course Elder Scrolls Six when that comes out. But we literally know nothing about that, so I don't count it. You're gonna have to wait a few years for that, you know. Oh yeah, I know. We're gonna have Skyrim on Smart Fridge for Tesla, and I want to say maybe for Smart Shoes soon. So. Don't worry, we have yeah. Skyrim to tie us over. So what is the expected release for Ragnarok? Uh, this year. Is it this year? Okay, I'm, then I'd like to yes. also mention that one. Yeah, God of War Ragnarok's another big one. So for me, it's easy to say something like Horizon Forbidden West is my most anticipated or, or Breath of the Wild sequel or God of War Ragnarok or whatever. But I'd be lying to myself if I say any game is more anticipated than Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel. It's everything I've ever wanted in a Yu-Gi-Oh! game. It's cross-platform, cross-progression. It's an automated battle sim made by Konami, so it's going to have the polish that we've wanted. Seemingly, the game is going to be very free-to-play friendly, like Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links was. Every card that is in Yu-Gi-Oh! is available in the game. They're going to be adding future cards to the game i'm gonna put so much time into this game it's not even funny be able to play it on my phone on my xbox on my switch it'd be so fun if we have like big tournaments where we can all play we can all build our favorite decks with our in our favorite archetypes gino and i have gotten back into Yu-Gi-Oh really 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 hard this year and this game is only months away it's gonna be out by the end of march so we don't have to wait very long for it. Like, this is by far my most anticipated game. Like, it's not even close. But what Joe has with Path of Exile and Riley has with Destiny, Gino has with Skyrim or whatever the heck he likes, for me, it's it's going to be Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel. That is going to be my game. So I really want us to do something with Master Duel when it comes out. We can record, like, online duels. I think that'd be fantastic. So... Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel, hands down. Can't wait to get my game on. Yeah, you guys have probably noticed that Mateo and I have done some like Yu-Gi-Oh! content and stuff on here, just because like we are we are fans, but we've never been good enough to play in locals and stuff because we don't carry around, we don't play all the meta cards. We like playing those like rogue decks and like off-meta stuff, just because it's fun. And this game here also has a lot of promise to be really really fun. And I think now the funny fun. thing. Is Gino and Mateo say that, that they've never been good enough competitively, that they just like to play with their off-brand stuff, as if they're these casual Yu-Gi-Oh players? They are not casual Yu-Gi-Oh players. Me and Riley are casual Yu-Gi-Oh players. Riley plays dragons as a theme. No, no played... specific archetypes, just dragons. <laughs> and I play Thousand Eye Relinquish, and that's it. Just relinquish. Your problem is you play more than 40 cards in your deck, and you never oh, draw me? what you need. I have Both of you guys. I have to have 60. How will I get all my favorite cards into the deck? I have the most uh, most allowed. Riley, your deck is destroyed by one card. It's called Dragon Capture Jar. Yes, I'm well aware. I look forward to recording duels online as well, Mateo, where I put out one monster card, and then it's just a series of chains of your cards until you win. <laughs> That's modern Yu-Gi-Oh. That's modern Yu-Gi-Oh for you. So we have two more left. So we have our favorite games that you played this year. So you can mention multiple here. Um, these are just your favorites. It doesn't necessarily have to be the ones you think are like the best. 
um, but whichever ones you really enjoyed. I'm going to start off. So the first two I'm going to mention are ones I've that have already been mentioned. So I've already mentioned Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, and how I thought it was really fun. Like that was one of my favorite games this year. So that's one. Mario Party Superstars for all the reasons that Mateo um, and Gino had mentioned earlier and best multiplayer, like same thing. One of my favorite games this year, still playing it. Like every time I go visit my little sister or friends, like constantly playing that game, really love it. But the other one that I want to mention, and this isn't one game. So that's the interesting thing. This isn't one game. I think my favorite games that I played this year, and it kind of defines my year of gaming because I think half the time I spent gaming this year, I was playing one of these games. But I played the Castlevania series for the first time this year, and I played a big, like a large amount of them, as well as Bloodstained, I just recently played. And I had such a blast playing through all those games. And despite the fact that I played a lot of them back to back, I never felt burnt out. I really enjoyed them. Like, the first game when I played, I started with Symphony of the Night. Well, technically, I started with Rondo of Blood. And I I beat that one. And, you know, the, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. But that's not one of the ones I'm necessarily including in here. Um, but I started my, like, cat, like Metroidvania Castlevanias with Symphony of the Night. And I didn't like it at first. I remember telling Riley, like, I don't like this. It doesn't really play, like, what I thought a Metroidvania would play like. Because there's, like, the loot systems and all that but by the end i was totally into it like loved it just such a fun gameplay loop and then i played all the gba ones and then now i've i've played bloodstained and even though all of them are very similar in gameplay they're all very unique um i really like the gameplay like addition that's in aria of sorrow and then it comes back in bloodstained and for those of you who don't know bloodstained is the creator of castlevania's spiritual successor so it's basically castlevania without calling it castlevania but aria of sorrow and um bloodstained both use this like new gameplay mechanic where every single enemy in the game has like a special power associated with them and there's a percentage chance when you kill the the enemy that you absorb their power and you get like this new ability and it's just so fun there's so many things you can do um there's so many ways you can play it there's so much to find and i just love that feeling of literally becoming so familiar with the map because you've had to backtrack so much that like you don't even need to use the map anymore and i love that in metroidvanias and that's something that was lacking for me in metroid dread is because it did feel a little bit more linear and because the map was so big they did try to force you into like situations where you kind of already were where you needed to go naturally. So unless you veered off track, there wasn't a ton of backtracking. And that's good for the size of the map that they gave us a Metroid Dread. But if I'm speaking honestly, like my best Metroidvania experiences this year were within the Castlevania slash Bloodstained series. And I just really enjoyed playing them. Just to, to let you know which ones I played, I played Rondo of Blood, Symphony of the Night, Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, Aria of Sorrow and the Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. So those are those are the games I'm speaking of when talking about my favorite games this year. I didn't really play a lot of like the 2021 games this year. I think it was just like Pokemon Snap with Mateo, 
Mario Party Superstars and Pokemon, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, things like that. But this game here is an ongoing game. I had a lot of fun with Destiny this year, and I know Beyond Light technically came out back in like September and everything, but like again, going back to its seasonal content, aside from the season of the hunt, which was the one that happened in I wanna say like September ish. I had a lot of fun with like Season of the Chosen, Season of the Splicer, and of current currently with the Season of the Lost and everything. And just like getting back into Destiny 2 has been really, really fun. Bungie has some really great gunplay and stuff in the games. They make you really think about what guns and stuff you bring into specific scenarios. Uh, the way that they're changing the game seems to be a lot more player-friendly and just very intuitive and fun. There's really fun and easy ways to like cheese certain scenarios and just like the amount of fun that we have uh, playing with Riley and, and like Joe and like the rest of the clan and everything has just been like, it's just been good fun. And yeah, I had a really good year with destiny. So I'm going to say destiny to be on light. So for me, uh, 2021 was bookended by two of my favorite games. Like I said, ghost of Tsushima, that game is so special and just gorgeous. Just the way that that game handles the wind and the open environments. Like it's so fantastic. It's, like I always say this, like it happens a lot. It's happening more and more lately. Like, oh, this game is the greatest looking game I've ever played. This game is the greatest looking game I've ever played. Whatever, Ghost of Tsushima is one of the greatest looking games I've ever played. Like, period. And like, and there's there was a uh, expansion that came out this year that I haven't picked up yet, but I'm gonna probably play that hopefully soon. So if I did play it, I probably would have nominated it for a best DLC expansion. But uh, that and then also Guardians of the Galaxy, I just finished it uh, prior to New Year's and I didn't expect that game to be as good as it was. Like I heard it's one of those games, you either like it or you don't, but I really liked it. And yeah, the score definitely had a lot to do with that. But just the way that it was a different take on the characters that I expected, like I, I thought the characters would be a lot similar to how they were portrayed in the movies. But from what I heard, they're a lot more like the way they are in the comics. So that is good. And then also just like having all the alternate costumes for the characters. And there was actually a good amount of collectibles to collect in the world. And just how and also kind of had that telltale feel to it, which I actually really like Telltale Guardians of the Galaxy. So it was kind of cool having played two experiences like that in the last couple of years. So if I had to pick one of them, probably be Ghost of Tsushima. I'm torn between two games. Actually, three, now that I think about it. Mention them all. Okay. The first one I'll mention is, uh, it really grew on me, because one part of it in particular was aggravating to no end, but Metroid Prime 2 is a game I'm very glad I played this year. More so than Metroid Prime 3, that's for sure. I did not, did not like 3 as much. Yeah, despite Taurus Bog being possibly one of the worst things I play in a game, I still enjoyed the experience of doing it. Moving on from that, as I was discussing before, I've been enthralled by the gameplay of the Arcane game, so Dishonored is definitely up there. I've given I've play, replayed that game like four times within a week. I don't do that often, so that's up there. But I think the one that I'll have to give it to is Demon Souls, just because of my preference for Souls games. If it didn't have to be a game we'd just played this year, it would have been like every year I'd pick Bloodborne as the, my favorite game of the like of the games I played that year. Uh, and the closest thing I got to that was Demon Souls. It also looked absolutely stunning. Possibly one of the best looking games I've ever seen in my life. It was very like I watched you play that one and it was very stunning visually. Okay, well that brings us to our final 
Award, which is the game of the year. Now, for this one, we are making it exclusive to 2021 games. This is what is your game of the year um, in terms of this year. I'll start it off. My game of the year is Kena Bridge of Spirits. Um, I talked a little bit about the score when we got to soundtrack, but I haven't really talked about this game yet. But this was a game that when they announced it, I was immediately interested. Just because visually, it's the kind of game I look for. You know, like, it was animated. It looked like an adventure game with a little bit of a Pikmin element. And it was on my radar. But when it came out, I didn't actually buy it. And I was like, mm, you know, it's a $50 game. I don't need to buy it. Um, I'll get it eventually. And I really wish I bought it at launch. It was incredible like i i genuinely after playing it i felt it was robbed at all the game awards because i feel like the only reason it didn't get nominated or like it didn't win more is just because it's a short game and i don't think that that's a reason to say that a game isn't good it's such an incredible game first of all visually i know like mateo and riley both just said this about ghost of tsushima and demon souls respectively but this game is like visually the best looking game I've ever played in my life. It is incredible. And the reason it looks so good is because the team that made it, Ember Studios or Ember Labs, they're not a game studio. They are an animation studio. They actually, they made the Majora's Mask animated short that appeared on YouTube of like five years ago or whatever it was. And then they made a game. And it's a good game. Like, visually, looks amazing. All the cutscenes are pre-rendered. They look stunning. Like, they look like a Pixar film, like, level, like, incredible animation. Like, just amazing. And then the gameplay that they have is something like a Zelda game. Like, you're getting these new tools to help interact with the world around you. It's very magical. There's a cool lore. There's a cool world around you. You have these little guys, the rot, that are helping you um, explore and expand this world. And then the narrative within the story, while it's not the most grand narrative, it's such a thematically beautiful narrative that I feel that there's a lot to take from it. Like It felt like Zelda for me. It felt like it just felt like something just like a, a story of wonder, um, a personal hero's journey that connects to a larger world with stakes, but nothing too big. And it was just like, I, I don't know how else to explain it. Like, it's just so incredible. Um, and there's so much to do even within the small world. Like, you can finish everything in maybe like 12 to 15 hours, but like there's a lot to do like there's a lot to collect and there's meaningful collectibles and there's puzzles that require a lot of thinking and sure you're using the same tools over and over again like a zelda game which i saw some critics were not happy about but i don't see how that's that's a negative like it was really well done boss battles were fantastic imaginative the character designs and the boss designs very very cool like i could tell from all angles of this game it was very well done especially for ember lab's first ever game and i'm super 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 excited to see what they do next because this is i think one of those hidden gems and if it ever gets a sequel or if they just make a spiritual successor or their next game i think ember labs is going to be one of those major playstation studios that we're going to hear about down the line and they're going to be making these AAA like master games and 
then people are going to be looking back to Kina and being like, this is where it all started. I think in hindsight, it's going to be bigger than it was now. But it's it's so well done. Like, I highly recommend this game to anybody who wants, like, a, just a fun, beautiful, visually stunning and gameplay stunning story and game. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing Kina. I'm, yeah. I'm working through The Last of Us Part Two right now, but that of on the PlayStation backlog, that is next up for me. Yeah, and can I just say one last thing, actually? I've, I started calling it Kina Bridge of Spirits back before the game came out, and even though I've since learned the proper pronunciation, I still fall into the habit. So please, those of you who have like played the game, don't be like, this guy didn't even play it. He's not even saying her name right. It is Kana Bridge of Spirits. I'm sorry for calling it Kena Bridge of Spirits. It's Kana Bridge of Spirits. Kena. That's going to be very, very difficult for me to adjust to. I'm going to be in the same boat. <laughs> it's hard because I called it I called it Kena for so long. I'm going to be honest, Jules, from the small amount of what I watch you play of it, doesn't seem like my cup of tea. To be fair, you started watching me like literally like not even an hour into playing. So it was like very, very, very like early game it gets a lot better i have two games in mind and it's it's tough to pick the two of them like do i go with the game that i had the one playthrough of it that i'll never have that experience playing with it again or do i have the game that is the complete package game that has infinite replayability follow your heart i'm gonna exactly i'm gonna follow my heart uh, like sora says let your heart be your guiding key yeah i'm gonna pick metroid dread for my game of the year and i'm gonna be brutally honest like Jules and I had a very similar impression of Metroid Dread for after the first like hour or two. We're like, oh, it hasn't really clicked with us. But then there's a moment that happens in the game that we said, "Oh shit!" And then everything after that started to make sense. And that is that that like the satisfaction of the game just like clicking in our minds. Like that was one of those the greatest aha moments I've had playing a game like ever. And that is part of the reason why I think Metroid Dread for me is game of the year like repeat playthroughs of it won't have the same impact but this first playthrough was so special that i just can't ignore that and like i said before about the gameplay like it it plays better than any 2d metroid game played i played through super metroid and fusion this year as well and this game is a modern classic already it's going to be always in the conversation for best metroid game best 2d metroid game like and it perfectly sort of wraps up this arc that they've been telling since the original Metroid, the Samus and Metroid arc. The soundtrack of it is fantastic. The environments, the level design, like it's just, it's the complete package for a Metroid game. It's the best Nintendo game of 2021, in my opinion. And it's one of the best Metroidvanias I've played in a long time. And this is coming from someone who adores the genre. Like it feels like to me, since Samus Returns, we've had these phenomenal games like Ori and the Will of the Wisps and Hollow Knight and like Metroidvania games are everywhere. And like, I was kind of scared almost to think like, okay, well, how is Nintendo going to hit that level that these other games have hit? They're the ones that created the genre. Are they going to elevate it? Are they going to, are they going to raise the bar? And undoubtedly they did with Metroid Dread. Like it is, in my opinion, it's one of the premier games in the genre and the mystery that unfolds on zdr is just it's fantastic in my opinion so like i i'm sticking to my gut i'm following my heart i'm going with metroid dread my game of the year for 2021 is is halo infinite just because i feel like 343 really did a good job with this albeit it was a learning process i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sugarcoat it they really dropped the ball with 
I want to say the multiplayer of Halo 4 and the story of Halo 5. And like the campaign in this game, I really like the sandbox style. I feel like this is really going to be pushing like a lot a lot of a lot of games and stuff can definitely learn what uh 343 did with this and like okay, take a first person shooter and really really go forward with the kind of like the sandbox uh game style. I know that a lot of people say just cause and uh, Far Cry kind of follow this kind of sandboxy thing, but like those IPs aren't as big as Halo. Like Halo is up there with like Mario, Doom, for like recognizability and IP significance to their respective genre, right? And the campaign and stuff really, really worked for me. I'm now going through, um, get picking up all the remaining collectibles that I'm doing, so I can go out and do a lasso run in Halo which is something I've never done before. But I feel like it's something that I can do because the game is just so open and allows me to go out and get special weapons or allows me to just cheese the game and grab the Scorpion tank gun from the first mission. and just It's just fun. And that's something that I haven't had in a long time because I've never really been good enough in a lot of Halo games. Like, out of our group of friends, I was always, like, scraping the bottom of the barrel. But we also have a group of friends that's really, really, really good at Halo. And really good at first-person shooters. So I'm like the worst of the best, I guess. And like the multiplayer in this game has been really tight, I found. It's it's a good compromise between what Halo 3 was and what something new, like a modern first-person shooter, like or something like Battlefield or Call of Duty or something like that. It's a good balance between the two, the two of them. You have that. You still feel clunky and bulky, uh, like that kind of like Titan kind of like gameplay almost, Riley, if I'm kind of trying to like, tie this in with destiny like you feel powerful but you have a a lot of maneuverability and the way that they've been able to accomplish that is with the the new system that they have for um, the armor abilities and things like that like you can okay you can go out and grab your grapple your grapple shot and be able to like grapple hooked from one area of the map to another map or you can use the thruster pack or you have the um the reflector shield which, which i just recently learned that you can use as a jump boost if you like aim down jump and fire you go flying it it, it, using the sandbox tools that they've given you in the multiplayer environment just feels really well yes the weapon balance is totally all over the place the ar is way too powerful and mateo and i talked about this in our our halo chat but i just had a lot of fun with halo and honestly like yes 343 is listening to us uh when we say where are the game modes they brought in all the new game modes for uh, the Slayer archetypes and all that kind of stuff. Like this is a new engine that they're that they're working with. They don't have the old Bungie like code and stuff that every Halo game was based off of Halo One, right? Like they don't have that stuff anymore. The the the, the game archetypes aren't in place. They literally have to make them from scratch. So giving them a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt, I feel like in time Halo Infinite will be even better. And for right now, for what it's worth. I've played it, I've bought it, I have it through Game Pass, I got the Season Pass. I'm taking my time with it also. I'm not, it's not something that I'm like rushing to level 100 in the Season Pass. No, I'm going to take my time with it. Halo is one of those games, evergreen games, that I can go back to and know that I'm going to have a good time. And that's what I like about it. So my game of the year, I'm almost like 100% sure I was the only one who played it this year. Uh, and I know other people... It's a fairly popular one, but no one in our friend group likes these kinds of games. But my choice was Resident Evil 8, or sorry, Resident Evil mm. Village for Game of the Year. I had quite a bit of fun with that. I found it was the right amount of tension without ever being, you know, shit your pants scary. Now, my question is, is it called Resident Evil Village, or is it Resident Evil V-I-I-I 
age. It is Resident Evil Eight age. Unfortunately, I don't know why they couldn't have it be a subtitle, but whatever. Especially since Resident Evil Seven is called Resident Evil Seven, but whatever. Anyways, that game is. I had a great time playing it. I played through it multiple times. I all but platinumed it. I just it's just some of the collectibles I haven't gotten, and then the bonus mode that's based off a multiplayer game that I'm never gonna do. But uh, that game is quite fun. It's fantastic. It's an atmosphere. I gotta be honest, the writing is extremely corny, but I guess that's kind of the appeal of the Resident Evil games. Just kind of like how Metal Gear is. Yeah. That's how Japanese kind of like realistic games often are. They have a little bit of anime <laughs> to them, you know? But yeah, like I thought the, the enemy design was great in that game. It was well, actually just in general, the environments, the enemy design, the art direction was good. Gameplay was fun. The story was adequate. It was just it was just a good time. It was a good it was a good evolution from what they did in Resident Evil Seven. And I really hope they continue with the first person uh Resi games because I feel like that's a lot more immersive. Well, it looks like we had a pretty good twenty twenty one in terms of gaming. Sounds like lots of Metroid, lots of Halo, lots of Destiny, some other really cool games, and I am excited for twenty twenty two. And I think we all are. So that was our twenty twenty one the Hub World Game of the Year awards featuring games that did not come out in 2021. I think most of the category winners, like from our own individual list, were non 2021 games, though. <laughs> See, no, I disagree. I think there was a very healthy balance. Mm-hmm. I think I think yours was heavy on the the pre 2021 Gino, but I also think Mateo's was heavier on the 2021 games. So I think it balanced, like overall. But hopefully next year, or this year, I guess now. 2022 is going to be like a, the big year that we hope it's going to be like we might have a wider pool of 2022 games that we've all played so like maybe the formula changes next year maybe we we see how this is like and and or whatever but i'm i'm really excited for what's to come much like halo the future is infinite now to play us out here's gino Alrighty, everyone that brings us to the end of today's quest if you liked what you heard today hit that like subscribe or follow button on your platform of choice if you want to contribute to the conversation here at the hub world let us know any ideas you have for upcoming quests or just share your thoughts leave us a comment let us know what you agreed with let us know what you disagreed with tell your friend tell your mom tell your friend's mom tell everyone again just a quick shout out if you guys want to go check out richard's channel uh links are below uh help him get to that thousand subs uh he'd really mean a lot Thanks for being part of the ride with us here. If you've been uh, if you've been here since uh, day one, or if you've just joined in recently, welcome aboard to the Hub World. Thanks again for returning, and we'll see you next time, everyone. Mateo, would you have anything to say? Microsoft, make a new Banjo game. Everyone buy Elden Ring. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Choco GP. I need people to play with. Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, Master. All new people. Yu-Gi-Oh! Master. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See you later, everybody. See ya. See ya.